0: On this week's show, there's nary a freeway chase killer turkey haunted painting or problem child in sight. But boy, oh boy, is there a lot of chit chat. That's right. We're talking before sunset. I'm Neff Knowles.
1: I'm Laura Maduros.
2: I'm Rodney Guzm. I'm Cohen Burry.
0: And this is Good With Numbers. (laughs)
3: What's, like, the longest conversation you had with someone?
2: Like, five minutes tops.
0: (laughs) And then I just kind of tap out.
2: (laughs) You're like, I love where this is going. I just gotta leave.
3: (laughs) No, but, like, did you remember when you were younger, and for some reason, it was, like, back in the day when it was, like, landlines, and, like, a majority of your time would be talking with a friend
0: for just hours? Was that just me, or no? No one else did this? I guess I did that. I mean, I'm pretty sure I remember my parents being pretty irate about some phone bills that I rang up in my (laughs) teens. Years, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they may have been to adult chat lines for I don't remember. um I guess I guess I like talked with girlfriends or friends for I don't know why. What's the longest you ever had? I'm
3: trying to think. Well, sometimes it's like a whole day affair, like this one, where you meet up with a friend you haven't seen in a while, then you just walk all of Toronto for the whole day.
0: Yeah, I mean, what are we defining as a conversation? Are we are we talking about just like sticking to the one topic, or are we are
2: you just all over the place, bridging between topics? And when you when you start the conversation, you end up in a completely. Different different place i mean no,
0: that's that sounds like subjective now that when does a conversation truly end because i mean we spent two hours talking about home alone two for fuck's sake so you know it's
3: like... <laughs> so there you go our longest conversation is home alone two so far is it worth it
0: <laughs> you decide listener
2: um <laughs> <laughs> i've never had a um like a landline conversation i was probably too young when we had an actual landline but i do remember the day that my fish died uh my brother was on the landline talking to his girlfriend his long distance girlfriend and and my fish had died so I wanted to call my mom but I couldn't because he was on the landline so I picked up the line and I heard him talking to his girlfriend and I was like oh, oh. and so I hung up <laughs> and I ran downstairs and I was like Tristan I need to use the phone and he's like yeah in a minute and I was like okay but like I need to call mom and he's like okay yeah sure so you know some time went on you know like I don't know maybe 5-10 minutes and I picked up the phone again and I was like Tristan I need to use the phone and he's like get off the phone <laughs> And so I when you said that about the landline that memory just came flooding back to me.
3: <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, is that a good?
2: Idea? I don't know. His fish died,
1: Roddy. That's but it was a
2: really—he was talking to his girlfriend for a really long time. I guess that was my point. Oh,
0: there we go.
1: At the time where you couldn't just be like, "Oh, I guess I'll use somebody else's phone."
0: Well, and you didn't have like the the hindrance of your battery dying or whatever as well. I guess you know that's mm. like that's always a good out for a conversation. Oh shit, I'm out of battery. Bye. Have you used it a lot, Dad? <laughs> I went. I just went into a tunnel. Sorry. Bye. Um,
2: we had one of those fancy. Wireless receivers for a landline. Oh, okay, get you. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? But uh you know, just like your first love or whatever, you know, you talk to her or him for ages on the phone and about literally nothing. Like, it's just vapid conversation. And
0: When it gets into that whole, you you hang up. No, you hang up. No,
2: you hang up. Yeah, Yeah, fuck that. Maybe Um, not devolving into that, but yeah. Like I
1: feel like we had that at some point where it's just like, (laughs) we we were the smart ones where it's like, no, you hang up. And it's like, okay. (laughs) Okay, bye. (laughs) And then you try to set the other person up to be like, no, you hang up first. And it's like, yes. Got you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, Cohen and I used to spend hours when we were first courting nine years ago. Crazy what? timing. Wow. Um, but yeah, no, we used to spend a lot of time. I remember, um, into like midnight i would have him on a phone call with me and i'd be playing video games or something so i'd have to tell him how it was going or something like that (laughs)
2: yeah this was pre-discord
1: yeah and so i'd just be like playing a horror game or something i'm like he's still there and he's yeah yeah i'm here what's going on i'm walking downstairs okay now what still stairs
3: (laughs) i find it so wild when you are in a relationship it's like those trivial moments are like comforting like, literally be talking with your significant other, going, like, yeah, I'm gonna go get something from the fridge. Like, that, no one needs to know this. And to anyone else, I don't need to go to Nath and be like, hey, Nath, I'm gonna go down to the <laughs> fridge and, like, pick up a snack. Like, Nath does no- would not care at all about that. <laughs> yeah,
0: but you still repeatedly call me to tell me this I'm like, what you? I just want to know that you're thinking of me okay now I can't not because you're constantly calling me telling me about the fucking sandwich you're making um, amazing okay hot quiz what was the sandwich I was making this is the true test of friendship. <gasps> Uh egg salad uh, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) right. (laughs) Welcome to Bad With Numbers, a podcast where we talk about mostly terrible sequels, except for this month we're talking about good sequels. And the good sequel we're talking about this week is Before Sunset from the year 2004, directed by Richard Linklater. Uh, Also, you may have noticed Megan is not with us this week. She is otherwise engaged. So thank you very much to our super substitute, Mr. Cohenbury, for stepping into the breach once again.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: No, I'm glad. I'm glad, man. I want to hear your take on this movie Roddy this was your pick why Rodi, why
3: <laughs> well uh i remember catching this like randomly on like i don't know i think on tv like bravo here in canada and i just put it on and it's one of the ones where like you think it's like oh it's just like two people talking what is this but then slowly as you start listening you're like well now i can't stop watching and then all of a sudden it comes to the ending and you're like hit with emotional waves or when you're like well fuck and i want to pass it on to you guys to have the experience
0: yeah i mean okay so i'm very familiar with this franchise this movie is a sequel to the 1995 film Before Sunrise uh, which I saw in theaters Um, it came out when I was like 14, 15 right at the point where I was just kind of getting into that whole sort of American indie scene at the time Uh, I definitely saw this one in theaters as well I don't think I saw
2: the third one in theaters
0: were you guys familiar with this franchise before Roddy plucked it out of the air?
2: nope no I've never seen any of these films never heard of them even
3: plucked it out of the air like magic I'm magical (laughs)
0: All right. So, like, the appeal of this movie to me at the time was pretty much the fact that Ethan Hawke was leading it. I was slightly besotted with Ethan Hawke around this sort of period. Um, He kind of epitomized, like, the whole slacker philosopher vibe that I was very into at the time. Between this and the movie Reality Bites, where he plays, like, a a fairly similar character, um, he was definitely somebody that I was kind of, like, aiming to emulate. Um, And I look back at it now, and especially in Reality Bites, and i'm kind of like oh this guy's actually kind of a conceited asshole so i guess that makes me a conceited asshole too i don't know
2: but we accept you as you are we take you as you are just like Celine.
0: i appreciate it thanks
2: <laughs>
3: Wait, so how long did you pull off the like Ethan Hawke Reality Bites look, and did people
2: fall for it?
0: Uh, I don't think anybody fell for it, because it was probably too obnoxious for anybody <laughs> to really be on board with. Um, a good couple of years, man. A good couple of years. How often
2: were you mistaken for Ethan Hawke, and how many autographs did you sign?
0: I probably got mistaken for him zero times, and as a result, signed zero autographs. That's a personal best. But goddamn was I trying. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm just going to put it out there straight away. I Fucking love this film I really adore this film I think Roddy this is um, a sound choice despite the fact this movie has no real conceivable plot I was kind of blown away watching this again (laughs) Richard Linklater is one of my favorite filmmakers he's made like a bunch of movies that I straight up adore Uh, we should probably do a little background on him Uh, he was born in Houston in 1960 he was like a big sports guy in high school he played football baseball he dropped out of college to go um, work on oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico and then he used Used the money he made from doing that to enroll in film school at Austin Community College in 1991 he makes his first feature Slacker which is like a really kind of loose tableau of a bunch of people just going about their day in Austin it sort of jumps from one character rapidly to the next it doesn't sort of tend to spend more than like five minutes with each character the whole thing is um, like super anecdotal but it's also fucking brilliant and like along with um, Steven Soderbergh's Sex, Lies and Videotape it's probably like one of the most important films of like that period of American independence cinema um he gets some money from universal pictures to make his next movie uh, they were just kind of throwing all of their fucking budgets at like indie filmmakers at the time mm-hmm. and he makes Days and confused which follows a similar structure of slacker but instead it focuses on like a bunch of teens on their last day of high school in 1976 and it's just like following all their shenanigans that they get up to you know partying, and drinking experimenting with drugs just generally hanging out and shooting the shit Days and confused is like easily one of my favorite fucking films of all time it's the kind of movie that like when you watch it you uh yearn to live in that kind of experience and a lot of that is down to how like link later frames it there's no like antagonist really in the movie although ben affleck's character is kind of a fucking asshole in it uh the stakes are like really low-key but it all like feels really authentic um while still being like fucking hilarious as well and it also marked the fucking debut of matthew mcconaughey and sparked a million impressions of his character doing that lackadaisical all right all right all right catchphrase uh any of you guys I've seen days and confused
2: no I know
0: no I, I really like implore you to check it out it's it's just like the ultimate hangout kind of movie which is what this movie was
2: <laughs> yeah yeah I mean that might be really good that might be a good watch especially right now with the global panini going
0: on I actually went on like a, a link later binge this week thanks Roddy you're welcome uh so my time has been like consumed by watching a lot of his movies and days of confused is one that still just resonates with me so anyway after he makes days of confused he makes uh before sunrise which is the predecessor of the this film, he pairs up with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, who are both like fairly established at this point. He's a Gen X icon, and she's already been in a bunch of movies like Kozlowski's *Free Colors White*. And hey, we talked about it last week—that uh, Disney adaptation of *The Three Musketeers* with fucking Charlie Sheen. Oh yeah, <laughs> that movie ended up being like a real critical darling, and it sort of sprungboard later into doing whatever he damn well pleased. Basically, um, since then he's kind of he's swung into some big studio movies every now and again. He directs. School of Rock. Great movie. Which people love, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. loves School of Rock, yeah. Mm -hmm but I mean he's mostly stuck to doing like indie stuff like the pinnacle of which is probably Boyhood um, a movie that took him 14 years to shoot and they would shoot it for like a couple of weeks every year it's probably like the most convincing depiction of like adolescence on film I I rewatched it today I hadn't seen it in a few years it fucking gets me every fucking time Patricia Arquette is like amazing in that movie um, and I would stick my neck on the line and say that it's probably the only truly great American movie of the 21st century apart from MacGruber.
3: Huh. So, like, to actually go and make that movie, that's, like, commendable. Like, that's, like, a giant feat to, like, re- like film for 14 years.
0: Yeah, and, you know, and that's kind of Linklater's deal is he's very interested in the real, yeah? It's, it's realist cinema, so, you know, he could have easily made that movie in fucking six weeks and just cast a bunch of different fucking actors playing the same kid through different stages of his life, but instead he, like, committed to show Shooting with Ella Catrain and Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette for a couple of weeks every year. And these characters literally fucking age 14 years in front of you over the space of like two and a half hours. It's
2: fucking insane. That sounds really interesting. I'd actually love to watch that. It's a
0: fucking great movie, man.
3: I will say it does open with this song from Coldplay. Are you sure,
0: Nath? Like I said, maybe one of the best American movies of the 21st <laughs> century. I can forgive a little Coldplay in there. Um, well, I'd
1: be interested in seeing, like, or, or just hearing about the different production, because usually they don't, when you're doing a movie, you don't start it from beginning to the end. That's not how you shoot the movie. Sure. But this, they had no choice. They would have to shoot in succession mm-hmm. as to how that goes. So I'd be, I'd be very curious to know if it was easier or, you know, worse at times.
0: <laughs> I think part... part... Part of the thing was like, at what point do you cut it off? I mean, the movie, I guess, is called Boyhood. So it tracks him from the age of like to 18 i guess so mm-hmm. i don't know it's kind of like it just seems like such a, a wild undertaking back in like whenever they started making it i guess it was 2000 because that movie came out in 2014 so mm-hmm. back in 2000 to like pick this one kid and say right we're now gonna shoot a movie around you for the next 14 years of your life it's uh kind of mind-blowing that they even did it
3: mm-hmm. oh i had a question because like with boyhood that kind of was the first film that ever did that but for before sunrise did any other film kind of do this whole let's just listen to people talk as I walk the only thing i could think of is
0: like dinner with andre yeah my dinner with andre is definitely like that i mean look there's there's a lot of movies that are kind of two-handers like this um maybe not as explicitly just focusing on two people strolling around vienna having a conversation it's definitely there was a lot of movies in like the the nineteen fifties and nineteen sixties when there was this whole realist movement in European cinema where they were trying to do movies like this that were you know realistic depictions of how people behave. I will
3: say if because we're not really jumping into the Brussels Sunrise, I think one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when they run into the German people and there's like oh. you should see our play. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I've been in that situation, and then first you just want like a simple answer. Then it opens up this can of worms and
0: you're like, oh, how do I get out of this? <laughs> I mean, when they offered them to go see that play, I kind of, I was disappointed the movie didn't take us to see that play.
2: Yeah, I wanted to see the cow. Yeah, that guy was playing a cow. Come on.
1: He was so excited. <laughs> you should celebrate with him. He really committed to the role.
3: I did love his hot take. which was like, "Uh, why don't you speak German? Like,
0: yeah. like, that was such a good take, because so many times, like, do you speak English? Do you speak German? So great. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a pet peeve of many European countries, I believe, when there's just this uh, automatic assumption that you speak English. Um, I, I, when I watch these
3: ones, I'm like, would I actually fall for, like, a, a Celine or Jesse? And I feel like I'd fall for their before sunset ones, and not so much their before sunrise versions of themselves. Really?
1: I'm the opposite. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I i mean, <laughs> when you meet Cohen, the spontaneity is, like, something that I'm very um, on board with. So I don't know in this, like, day and age would I get off a train with a random stranger that I was just talking to um, w- without, like notifying anybody so like i'd probably be texting my mom or like calling my friend yeah. that i'm supposed to meet up with for lunch and just be like hey this is all the information that i have with this person i'm keeping my find my friends on so you can track my phone like just all this other stuff you know what i mean
3: no this movie came out before like hostile or uh taken yeah like any of (laughs) this, i had that in the back of my mind
0: watching this again
3: and i was like oh
0: don't do this who would
3: do that
2: say like worst case i'm an axe murderer oh
0: yeah Yeah, i mean we don't know for definite he doesn't have a
2: body bag in that
0: fucking luggage on that train right i mean
1: but he was very charming i must say like i i was team (laughs) team jesse on that
0: i
3: guess it just goes to show like how sometimes people are kind of connection starved so when they finally get something that feels like the remote the remote of like actual realness they just like grasp onto it real tight and I feel like maybe that's what Selene did like here's a guy who's like I don't know I guess I can't see it because, like, he's, like, reading a book. I'm like, oh, kind of douchey. And, like, talking super philosophical on the first
0: go. But I guess she's also like that. So that's why they click. Yeah. I think so. And, then yeah, he is kind of, like I say, I aspired to this in my younger days. But watching Before Sunrise again at the weekend, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'd probably just tell this guy to fuck off. But
3: I guess it's also real in the sense that they had a mutual connection. And the fact that there's that couple that were just arguing. And, you know, when you have, like, the same enemy, you kind of somehow bond together by having the same enemy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sure. Let's do the box office for uh, Before Sunset before we get too deep into the plot. This movie opened on the 2nd of July 2004 in a limited release. It managed to scrape into 20th place on just 20 screens, which is pretty solid going by comparison the number one movie that weekend opened on 4,152 screens. So okay. Uh, and that number one movie was Spider-Man 2, which <laughs> wow. weirdly, Roddy, I believe that was your other consideration. I didn't
3: realize that they were in the same
0: time frame. They opened on the same fucking weekend, which is
3: <laughs> wild. I find that, wow, those are the two ones I was struggling with. But I chose this one for like, I don't know,
0: emotions? <laughs> Well, for for reasons as well, we might get into the reasons later as to why you chose this one. But um Spider Man Two, I don't know, I I like that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time because I don't tend to go back to comic book movies all that often. Mm-hmm. and Laura, I know you kind of you're more a Garfield stan, right? Oh,
1: absolutely, Garfield is my boy, and especially with um Amazing Spider Man Two with with Emma Stone as as Gwen, I, I believe that's my favorite out of the the three. I do really like Tom Holland in the newer one, but I hate. Eight, far from home oh
0: far from Home is a fucking episode yeah we're, we're gonna get no. To i get some very
1: point. passionate whenever i talk about it so i tiptoe around it but tom holland is good as peter he's a good balance between the two i think andrew garfield got the spider-man but he didn't get the peter sure and then um i feel like oh god first one like he told me uh, toby mcguire got peter but he didn't get spider-man
0: I mean, I guess the thing Tom Holland's got working in his favor is he was actually a teenager when yes. they were fucking shooting this as well. Yes, so, and he does his own. Those guys were all like fucking grown ass men.
1: Exactly. They he it. looks like how he's supposed to, and he acts like a idiot teenager kid.
2: I think Tobey Maguire was a good Spider Man because he's not supposed to be like a heartthrob. Like he's 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 yeah. kind of a nerd, and he, he's not a you know he's he's not a looker, right? So it's it's one of those things where I think he he works it really well.
3: Tell that to his face cards. Toby.
0: <laughs> go up to like to hey you're not a looker toby we know you're listening <laughs> right. you're just not a looker guy <laughs> like we think you're great pleasantville great ice storm great but come on guy let's be <laughs> realistic
1: here he's no listen he was not cast as captain america he was cast as peter parker the nerd burger okay like i'm
2: saying it works well for him that's that was a compliment
1: <laughs>
3: is it a compliment it's sort it of goes up to you like oh this works well for you it's a, it's a
0: backhanded compliment, <laughs> but a backhanded compliment is a compliment nonetheless.
3: Andrew
2: Garfield and Tom Holland, they got girls swooning over them. That's the idea. That Proof. was, the, that was the, the, the mission statement there. They wanted a hot Spider-Man, right? Sure. Yeah
1: yeah uh number
0: two that weekend and this is fucking wild to think about now was uh fahrenheit Nine Eleven, the michael Mm. moore documentary about the bush administration huh i have thoughts about michael moore and they don't really belong on this podcast right now but the fact that a documentary about politics made 220 million dollars worldwide is fucking insane to think about in this day and age Mm -hmm. nowadays that shit would just be straight on netflix or whatever <laughs> um number 3 that weekend was White Chicks. Really? <laughs> Eh. A movie my ex-wife adores and I can't stand. So oh, no. That, that tells you everything you need to know right there. Um, it's got Lachlan Monroe from previous episode Freddy vs. Jason in it, and one of those Sweet Valley High girls is in it, I think. I don't know. Some people really love that movie. I am definitely not
1: one of them. Yeah, I vibe with it. <laughs> okay.
2: I like white chicks, too.
0: I Like I say, you know, horses for courses, man. Um, number four that weekend is Dodgeball, a true underdog <gasps> story.
1: I love that All one. These
2: bang- came out at around the same time, yeah, the
0: summer of two thousand and four was lit. dodgeball kind of holds up right i oh, mean big oh time. absolutely it's like. Peak Vince Vaughn doing peak Vince Vaughn stuff uh, before he became politically dubious. Um, Patches O'Hoolahan,
1: mm-hmm. best Patches O'Hoolahan character of anything. Yeah.
2: Any blazer, blazer.
0: You got Ben Stiller in a fat suit in that one. What's not to like? Yeah, I mean Vince Vaughn. Let's have a Vince Vaughn please. I mean he's he's due. I mean he was really good in uh, last year's Freaky, and he's kind of great in Brawl in Cell Block Ninety Nine. Uh, even though the politics behind that movie are also super sketchy. So you know, let's let's get him back in fucking movies again. I kind of miss that guy. Uh, number five is what I believed for a long time to be the worst Steven Spielberg movie, *The Terminal*. Oh, yeah. Hmm. I don't hold that belief anymore because *Ready Player One* is a film that exists. Oh yes.
2: Sorry, okay. move over the terminal.
0: Roddy, you may remember my reaction to Ready Player 1 when we saw it in theaters.
2: I think
3: no, my favorite, I think some, I think they said Rosebud, and you had like this visible, like you were holding everything in, trying not to scream your lungs out. The little
2: out. vein in his head popped out.
3: I also did not like that movie, so yeah.
2: Laura, we saw that with a group of people, and we walked out of that theater, and they were like, it was pretty good, and I was the only person who was like, that was terrible, what are you guys talking about? That was...
1: <laughs> my favorite thing, we got stuck in an elevator with people who had just come out and Cone was just like what did you think and they're like oh i really enjoyed that he's like what that was awful
2: <laughs> and he this dude's clutching his ready player one novel in his hand yeah no
0: seriously i mean i can't vibe with ernest klein um no. i guess kind of like little inside baseball but we talked about doing a bonus episode on ready player two oh, yeah. the book that came out uh, I couldn't make it through more than a couple of fucking chapters <laughs> of that thing. So, other sequels kicking around the box office that weekend. We've got uh, Prisoner of Azkaban there Yelp. at number seven. Banger. Uh, best Harry Potter movie.
1: Ew, I, would, I would say arguably one of the better ones, that one, and fourth are mm. A+.
0: And then at number eight... Uh fucking shrek 2 <gasps>
1: yeah yeah let's go yeah <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> green boy
0: i'm just gonna let you guys just ride that out for a second while i uh
1: amazing wow the summer
2: shrek 2 best of the shrek films
1: oh 100 it's been stated multiple times and i think you just need to wrap your head around it nath that shrek 2 is the best sequel ever
2: <laughs> he rolled his eyes so hard <sighs>
1: His, his faces
3: of disgust. It's meant to be because, like, I honestly watch this as my plan all along. It's like the reasoning for choosing this film was I knew what was in the <laughs> box office that way. There we go.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, stay tuned folks that Shrek 2 episode is on its way at some point
1: hell yes
0: I'm not quite at the precipice of doing it yet but holy shit it's not going to take much more to push me <laughs> right the fuck over one step closer to the edge <laughs>
2: and I'm about to break we have like <laughs> yeah yeah
1: we have this whole schedule going and then we're just going to make one joke one day and that's just like no fuck it we're getting this over with right now I'm done and then we just stop recording that podcast and I'll group watch at the same time
0: I, uh, I know exactly where Shrek 2 fits into our schedule but to to say right now would be a huge spoiler um but it's coming people it is fucking coming all right before we actually get into before sunset we should probably do like a little context with before sunrise first of all and like how that movie came to be Mm Linklater came up with a concept after he spent a day hanging out with a woman named amy who he met in a toy shop in philadelphia in 1989 uh and they just spent the night walking around philadelphia talking to each other um but then they didn't really keep in touch after that and his career took off with slacker obviously but she was obviously influential on like you know the the basis of this movie uh and then he actually found out many years later that she actually died in a motorcycle accident um in 1994 a few weeks before he actually started filming before sunrise so she never even knew like the fucking impact that she had on him and that is just fucking heartbreaking but yeah i mean the basic gist of before sunrise like we said it's um, 220 somethings meet on a train from budapest to paris they have like an interaction and then he convinces her to get off the train and spend the evening with him in vienna because he's got like an evening to kill before he has to fly back to texas so you know they spend the evening farting about they go to a bar they get invited to the aforementioned play uh they have sex and Park like a pair of horny fucking teenagers, and then she gets back on the train and goes to Paris, and they agree to meet up in Vienna like in six months' time. Except, and that's kind of where the movie ends, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Honestly, I I liked before sun sunrise um, the best out of the three.
0: I think it has like a youthful exuberance to it as well, right? I There's think like so that, too. That kind of spontaneity is just not something that you can do so much in later life. I think um, I've, I think that's what I vibed with as well. There's like this kind of like idealized notion that you could just meet somebody and do that. Like that mm-hmm. was a thing when you 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 don't have that much else going on in your life that you can just drop everything and fucking piss off around Vienna for an evening
1: and i think it's more so too with um i guess meeting them and falling in love with the characters um and just beginning the journey i think that they didn't really know who they were they were still experimenting and then the way that they talked to each other to try and find out who they were it was like they were kind of bouncing ideas off of each other too
0: yeah
3: or it's mm. just
1: like i think and then they're like well actually i think blah blah blah
3: yeah i think that's what's good about the first one though it honestly feels like you're walking into like someone's private conversations and you get to see all those like really awkward moments Mm -hmm. like When she got off the train and they're kind of... They had this moment where, like, well, was this a terrible decision? And I was like, yeah, that feels very real. Where, like, as soon as you jump on something on impulse, seconds later, your mind is like, oh, did I
0: screw this up? Yeah, I mean, he could have very easily... The moment she stepped off that train, he could have very easily been like, oh, yeah, by the way, did you know the Earth is flat?
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It It could have been some real horror show situation like that, right? Oh, man.
3: But I guess... Every conversation that you have with someone, you start off, I guess you're almost testing someone to see if, like, if you relate. Because you start with like, oh, the weather is this, right? But then that's just a branching off point. And then it's like a test, like, will this actually get interesting?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're definitely pushing each other's buttons in that first movie just to sort of figure each other out. And that, again, like Laura says, that's kind of the appeal, right? Is we're figuring out these characters at the same time as they're figuring each other out.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. like she. But then it got pretty real. Like, it was still on the train where she was like, I tried. Chose to t- take a train because I'm just fearful of like being on a plane and dying like that's like some real talk to have so- with someone uh, with- that you just met
0: yeah and they tie that in in the third movie as well because um, I mean jumping very far ahead in the timeline of these films but um, Ethan Hawke the the third movie is set in Greece and it starts with Ethan Hawke putting his son on a plane back to Chicago and then for a lot of that movie Celine is like concerned about Ethan Hawke's son mm-hmm. because he's on a plane and she worries about him being on a plane so it was kind of nice that they kept that sort of that character beat all the way through the movies uh so yeah before sunrise opens in paris um just gonna say it can't stand paris um (laughs) my relationship with paris is a lot like laura's relationship with new york where like every time i go there i think it sucks yep i see none of the stuff that people infuse about about that place um I've been there three times, I've never enjoyed it. I mean, and don't get me wrong, sorry sorry, Paris listeners, um, don't get me wrong, there are loads of other parts of France that I really dig, but Paris is just a fucking no-go for me at this point.
1: Yeah, um, I think my mom uh, went as a group trip and uh, when when she was younger, and the only thing that stands out whenever she tells me about her trip to Paris is that it smells like pee.
0: Oh yeah.
3: Aww. Or it
1: smelt like pee at the time, let me just... <laughs> put that out there but yeah that's the only thing i can ever think of i guess
3: it's every city because like even toronto i was like yeah it smells like pee sometimes (laughs) is it is that just a problem with the city
1: i don't know new york definitely
2: (laughs) yeah new york just kind of smelled like garbage and then when we came back to toronto it was like oh wow it's not it doesn't smell like garbage here sorry new york i love
0: that garbage stank in new york um (laughs) new york on like a fucking sunday morning after a saturday night that that summer stank is amazing um
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say mid-July, like that. Oh, oh yeah. No.
0: So this movie opens in a bookshop. We meet Ethan Hawke's Jesse. He is now an author, which is kind of like real life because Ethan Hawke, also an author. He's written like five novels. The book that he's written is like a nice framing device so that we know kind of everything about the first movie. Yeah. Because it is basically a recollection of his meeting with Celine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, is that cool? to write a book about somebody like that.
1: No, uh, I was just gonna say it depends on the details that you throw into it. Like, um, is there anything that would, like, I wouldn't write about Cohen's tattoos. I would never, like, make it directly about that person. I think that if anybody were to write about me, as even if it was as the villain, I don't think I'd be upset about it.
2: I think it's about context. I mean, the vibe I got was that he sort of accounted for all the parts of her personality he really liked, and put more focus on those, and sort of kept out the things that he didn't really like about her, or if he didn't like anything about or certain things about her he, he didn't include them, because it's not, like, you know how you always remember the good things about people you remember the the, the good times and, and certain things that they say, but the things that piss you off, you know, you try and put them in the back of your mind, so, you know, they sort of jumping ahead, they talk about it later, how you know, she's not the person in the book and how it, it sort of feels like he's pushing this narrative, let's like she is but simultaneously isn't this person in the book it's it's interesting to think about but um you know personally i i would want to be completely detached from a character if somebody were to write about me in a sort of semi-biographical sense like in a fictional story maybe
0: i'm just being a a little a little prissy about it because i i would be kind of like well is that really how that happened did i really say those kind of things also side note i've written several books about cohen's tattoos um available (laughs) now in paperback from all good booksellers
1: but I think the other thing is is like I'd be very curious to know how he wrote about her because uh, I mean jumping a little tiny bit ahead she didn't show up to their meeting time so w- personally I would have been soured like yeah. you can't romanticize the whole like we met and then we had a day in you know in Vienna and it was so nice and it was great blah 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 whatever
3: there's no answer though it's like I think they had this really powerful moment together and so maybe that romantic in him was like there must have been a reason
0: why she didn't show up
1: that's what i would hope but like it's also nine years later so maybe he the bitterness kind of was shaken from him a bit i guess yeah i
0: think it's probably written out of as, like warm nostalgia rather than like as an attack on her maybe mm.
2: oh sorry he states that the book took him four years to write yeah yeah on so
1: yeah like roughly five years later he'd probably be less butthurt i'm just sour all the time so <laughs> maybe that's why my feelings would be different than his
0: it took him four years because he had to write it in between bouts of cry wanking about her as well so um. <laughs> um i love how we don't get a big sweeping reveal of celine i like how she's just hanging out in the back of this bookstore while he's giving his talk i kind of feel like a lesser director would have made this a huge moment like a big orchestral swell um and like maybe a fake out where he sees somebody that he thinks is celine and it's not and then it, it turns out that he sees the real one and I don't know, i kind of like the way that Linklater just plays this really understated like she's just there she knew that he was going to be there so she you know rolled the dice and turned up this
2: movie on the whole. Feels- feels very small and I don't mean that in like a bad way it feels very like I don't even know how to put it into words and explain it like it
0: I mean it's low stakes right it's it's really low stakes
2: it, yeah ex- extremely there's nothing at stake here other than their their would be relationship that was you know dissolved nine years ago but I don't know there's something like warm and cozy about this movie it's very comforting almost
0: oh yeah big time um, and that's a lot of that is down to the the way that it's played. It's just played realistically. There's there's no like, you know, sort of moments of really high drama with the exception of like her freak out that she has in the car towards the end of the movie. It's um, you know, it's quite understated, but that's good. I like that about this film.
1: I'd be curious to look at the script though, because a lot of this is just one shot dialogue heavy. Mm. Like it flows as if it's a conversation. So it kind of feels like there would be talking points, but then okay. Okay, deliver it.
2: Mm-hmm. How much of it was improv?
0: I, apparently, barely any of it was improv, apparently. So, um, Hawk and Delpy get a co-writing credit with Linklater on this script. Apparently, they also contributed quite a lot to the first movie, but they didn't get a credit for it, and I think they were kind of pissed about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually ended up getting nominated for an Oscar for writing this film, which is kind of cool. Oh, wow. But yeah, I, I always got the impression that a lot of this was improvised, but apparently it wasn't. Apparently, this was rehearsed to precision, even though like, you know, little kind of, like, sort of pauses and whatever, and we're all done very, very meticulously.
1: Yeah, because he talks over her sometimes, and that's just fascinating for me, because it, it seems like he's interjecting in a conversation, which is very natural to, like, kind of throw that out there instead of waiting, you know, or it doesn't seem very calculated, and I guess that's where I'm getting at.
2: Yeah, credit to the, I guess, director of... I, I don't even know what the role would be, whoever would do the scripting and the writing and, and making... the I guess the director. Shout out to to the director because this yeah honestly this whole thing feels so natural and and the fact that you're saying that it was so meticulously rehearsed i never got that vibe and i think a lot of that
0: is down to the chemistry that these two actors have together as well like the there's something very easy about these two together
3: it's weird though a part of me just likes when people have like a sense of direction so i got like a little thrill every time like Selena would be like oh over there oh move over there i don't know why like there'd be moments (laughs) of going for a walk And it's like, oh, this way. And I'm like, yes this is like a
0: wonderful (laughs) this is a wonderful time (laughs) i noticed that as well when they're they're like heading to the coffee shop and she's kind of like no no we're going over here it's kind of like is she now in charge of the movie that's great um
3: but then he just follows it's like one of the ones where like they do why this feels so warm and cozy is because like it honestly captures what it is to meet up with a friend that you haven't seen in years and quickly going back to the routine that you always had like that sometimes doesn't happen but literally they met at the bookstore and then seconds it's like they're back to where they were nine years ago
0: yeah and i mean like i say Linklater could have just put a bunch of histrionics in here it could have been like where were you why didn't you show up la, la, la. but no it's kind of like you know they, they've both made their piece of it and we find out that he did show up which is um i don't know kind of a little devastating as well to find out that she uh she didn't turn up
2: but i loved the reveal on that how because we were watching it and laura and he said like oh yeah no I didn't show up and Laura turned to me and she's like he definitely showed up (laughs) (laughs) and uh, and then like what 30 seconds later she's like you're lying or whatever and he's like yeah I did show up you know and it's not this big reveal it was just like how it would be in a conversation
0: no exactly again a lesser director with like less confidence in his characters would have probably made that a game for a good part Absolutely. of the movie would have made it like a, a did they didn't they kind of almost like a mystery element to the film But yeah. no mm-hmm. he's just upfront. he's like i was there you weren't she had to her grandmother died so you know she had to go to the funeral that's fucking life right that's just how life plays out sometimes you can't make engagements that you made six months ago because shit got in the way
2: that was super refreshing I've n- but did you guys oh, oh. sorry I was just going to say I've never seen a movie like this before and I don't know if other movies like this exist but watch watching this was a treat like I've never watched a movie like this before
0: that ma- actually kind of makes me so happy that you that you <laughs> took that away from this man because yeah th- I mean look this is a very different movie from the kind of movies we've covered on this show like I said right at the- out of the gate there's no killer turkeys here there's no problem children here this is literally just two people talking to each other
3: but it's so unexpected because it's the same thing like uh, when I was it was on tv and i watched it and i was like what is this but then slowly like whoa damn like i'm having these feelings it's and it's just so surprising that such a like what cohen said such a
2: small movie could have this quite affecting experience on yourself this feels like the kind of movie that my younger self thought adults watched
0: that's <laughs> yeah, kind of true, but, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, no.
2: It, it, another point I wanted to bring up is it's it's super refreshing because when we did the Matrix episode, we talked with the Matrix Reloaded episode, we talked about how much of the dialogue there felt like forced and it was so long and it was so boring. And and we just wanted to get to the next part, the next action set piece. But in this movie, I couldn't get enough. I wanted more dialogue, I wanted more character development, I wanted to hear these people talk and and, and experience experience just everything and 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 i don't know it was really exciting which is weird to say because this movie is just two people catching up yeah it's their conversations
3: though it's like like little things like when they slightly get more comfortable with each other when they reach the cafe they get a little bit more blunt with their conversations like the whole thing where she's talking about like belief systems and about whether or not you want to become a monk it starts off casual and then it ends with like the punchline of like monks asking to suck (laughs) her friend's car which was totally obscure but like again it, from a friendship point of view or relation like that to even say such a, like a vulgar word you kind of work your way up to it like you're, you're testing it and like as soon as she says that they're like laughing carefree they're like like barring smokes off each other and it was nice to see how they went from the bookstore to that transition and you're wondering like wait how do they get so friendly to that point because like what's the great about this film is that you're watching them like this question and pull of like what they want to reveal about themselves and how much they want to reveal like it's there is a gap game but it's like a smaller game that adults play with each other to kind of hide their own insecurities yeah no I think that's
0: (laughs) yeah sure they they are still they're still figuring each other out um, because nine years have passed right their lives have have progressed as we find out later on you know Ethan Hawke's character is married with a kid to a woman that he doesn't really love he kind of feels obligated to stay with
3: but what's great about that she knew that from the beginning of like meaning she knew that it's only later in the film where it's like oh oh yeah by the way i was reading an article it's like how long was she holding that in and waiting for the time to bring it up
1: especially when you think you know someone too like you especially with like facebook now we are able to keep up with our old friends and everything like that but you know we only post the good stuff uh, air quotes there and it's like oh yeah okay i know you have this new boyfriend i know you have you know whatever life is going on and it's completely different so it's just like oh i don't know you. But
3: I think everyone's been in that situation where like you find out information from someone else but you're technically not supposed to know it yet. Oh yeah. So then there's like this weird conversation where you're like what are they going to tell me? And then you also reach that part where, like Am I might hurt now cuz they don't want to <laughs> tell me.
0: This. Yeah, exactly. You're kind of trying to tease out information you already know. Yeah, that's kind of an awkward place to be in. Uh side note, he says most people haven't read Moby Dick, so why should they read my book? And if you guys have read Moby Dick? No. Nope. Nah no no me neither okay um
1: <laughs> just checking
0: up on that i don't know i'm still kind of like a little bit hung up on the whole idea of like how far can you stray from real life for it to become fiction i kind of just want to read this fucking book that he wrote
2: that's definitely the most intriguing bit is that we never he doesn't even read any excerpts from the book like we get little little snippets maybe but like nothing concrete
1: yeah, I think they talk about how he writes about their passionate lovemaking or something at some point, and then that's it.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, look, he, he used this interaction that he had with Celine back in 1994. He's used it for fiscal gain and for a, a claim <laughs> i just kind of feel like she has a right to be a little bit kind of cagey around this dude
2: she does right yeah absolutely well, no i think she does i mean like again we don't know but i'm assuming it was very much uh real to their interaction obviously things were changed and and like i said before it feels like he um like filled in the blanks and and maybe took a few liberties on her personality and stuff so to me i got the vibe that it was a bit confusing for Celine because is it supposed to be her is it not supposed to be her is is she seeing the ugliness in herself is she seeing her own insecurities written by him does she see that he noticed those things about her you know like
0: was uh, was this just a move that he was pulling that he was uh running backwards and forwards on the train from <laughs> budapest to paris and just like picking up a different mm. woman every week and pulling this same shit was he just like grifting her i don't know maybe I- Honestly, if you're Celine, you would think that.
1: It reminds me of that um, the episode of, of Friends, and it's, I don't watch Friends very often, but this one always stuck out, um, and it was when Ross wrote the pros and cons to staying with Rachel, mm. and she found the list of all of the cons, mm. and she's like, think of every insecurity you have ever had, and then you know that the person you love knows it too, so they see the same thing, so I'd be very curious to see if that's mm-hmm. why she was Yeah, upset. that's the
2: point I was trying to make i like this kind
0: of moment where um he's talking about them having sex in this cemetery uh, not in the cemetery sorry in the park in the first movie and she straight up ghosts the idea she's like that didn't happen i love that she's so powerful oh yeah you can literally see his fragile male little ego (laughs) snapping with this fucking denial of this ever happening and I think the one thing that I kind of that kind of if I was to put a criticism on this movie it's that she backpedals that later on but I kind of love the notion that this this moment that he has fucking fetishized to the point where he's written a novel about it uh, was a fucking complete non event to her I don't know I just (laughs) found that funny
3: (laughs) no I love that moment too because it's one of the ones where like she had no kind of control of whether he wrote this book or not and like i guess and like that's such a pivotal scene i would imagine in it and so for her to just say like no that didn't happen and kind of take charge of that because in reality too like that was their own private moment that they had together and yes it's fictionalized somewhat but from her perspective like it was probably a moment that holds so much power that is now out there for people to interpret and read So for her to be like, no, it didn't happen. And the fact that her conviction is so strong that he can actually make him doubt himself. I was like, yes, she's great. Oh, yeah.
0: Definitely Team Celine in this movie. I like how this movie ups the ante of the first movie as well by having this all play out in real time. This movie literally takes place over the space of 80 minutes. And there's like a ticking clock element that he has to catch this plane. Although, like, I mean, in fairness, dude, you can just fucking change your ticket for a later flight. You're a fucking offer. You can afford to do this. Mm-hmm. But but this whole, like, notion that this, this is all unfolding with, you know, the sense of a real-time scenario kind of makes this movie... Um, sort of easier to gel with than the first one, I find.
3: It's like really real because when you catch up on some t- people too, you do have that time limit you set yourself. It's like, oh, I gotta head out at this time. But then, like like they did in this movie, you play with it a little bit. Where like if you're actually enjoying yourself a bit, much like no, no, like I like I could maybe like change it up and it's okay. And like that's what this movie is. Like you see them warming up to each other, and like there's moments where like Selena be like, oh, you can go. Like I'm totally fine. But then like it's a game again
0: <laughs> yeah we find out that they lived in new york at the same time which is really messed up it's kind of sad they never ran into each other but i guess
2: too much garbage
0: yeah exactly they had to fight over the mounds of street trash um <laughs> maybe the stank made them all stay indoors no i i love new york i'm not saying bad things about new york but
1: no, the stank made them stay indoors <laughs> i will say it
0: yeah. <laughs> have you ever had that moment though? Like I remember this
3: one time where I was watching a concert for like Fox and then later on I met up with a friend and then we found out that she also wanted the same concert. So there's that weird feeling of like the fact that you could have known each other earlier but like I don't know like it feels like faded but then not I don't know I think that was also a nice thing to have in the movie
0: I mean an example of that is is the my daughter's mother and I went to the same daycare for three days um, when we were about two, two three years old and then I moved away and didn't ever see her again until uh, we were like 16 17 so yeah uh, it happens you know people, people fucking intersect at moments without realizing
1: my parents actually um, before they had had met like I think a month or two before they had met they were at the same bowling alley at the same time and my dad got blackout drunk and actually forgot to give them the bowling shoes back <laughs> and uh, he had to like go back and, and switch them up which is why it was so memorable to him so uh, he was telling my mom like how funny the story was and she's like wait when was that where was that <coughs> And, yeah, then they, they were just like, holy shit, yeah, I was there. Like, I was literally a couple of lanes down from you.
0: I remember seeing this guy just pass <laughs> out over <Right>? the lane. <laughs> so, yeah, they go to the cafe to catch up. Um, I don't know if you guys remember. I don't know when they banned it in Canada, but do you guys remember when you could smoke in bars and cafes? Is that just me being old, remembering that? You're old. Yeah, I know. Um <laughs> I think they banned it in the UK in like 2007, and I remember going to like my local pub the day after they banned it, and it just fucking stunk. Like the air of fucking fresh cigarette smoke had been replaced by like the stale odor of wooden floors that had been like seeped through with smoke inhalation of years, and it was just gross, and everybody was like, can we just have smoking back please? Because it just smells so much better than whatever the fuck this is. <laughs> there's a line in this movie that really fucking stuck with me a memory is never finished as long as you're alive mm. i don't know i just hit a note
3: there's a lot of those like even though ones are funny there's one where she's like not wanting anything is a symptom of depression i was like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. tell me
2: about it um,
0: <laughs> i also like the fact that they talk about their journals that they had when they were young uh, any of you guys uh, keep a journal when you were young
2: Uh,
1: barely. Mm, When I was a teenager.
3: I couldn't keep up with the routine. It's like, (laughs)
0: oh, are you going to read us an excerpt? I have in my hand my diary that I kept for the entirety of the year 1989 when I was nine years old. It's the only diary that I ever did for an entire year because girls happened after <laughs> but, <laughs> but this is the only diary so uh, do you guys want to hear a couple of excerpts yes yes, yes. Do you know what? Yes. here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna read the excerpts from each of your birthdays and i won't say your birthday's on the air because uh you know we have a lot of hackers listening to our show that are desperate to steal all your fucking bank details but
1: uh, <laughs> if you find money let me know <laughs> yeah. uh
0: okay so laura this is on well, I mean, it's not even your birthday because you weren't even born when I wrote this, but okay.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, so this is from 1989 on your birthday. Uh, dad went to Enfield, which is where my dad worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my own breakfast. <laughs> That's a good feat. Yeah. Played some new songs on my keyboard. I have a sore stomach <laughs> and back.
2: <laughs> sorry, this, sorry, this isn't recent. This is 1989. <laughs> When I,
0: was, I was 8 when I wrote that
2: Are you sure? That sounds like you now
0: Well, you know, I haven't <laughs> progressed much in the, last, in, in the last 30 years Leave me alone um, Okay, Roddy, this is from your birthday That year You would have been a, a, a princely one year old When I wrote this Ooh! Last day of mini holidays We had like small vacations from school In the UK Went downtown uh, Not a euphemism <laughs> Looked at videos in solar solar was a a video rental shop I was generally not allowed to rent videos on my own volition but I sure as hell spent a lot of time in there reading the fucking back cases of them (laughs) very hot have lunch outside I like how you're like straight to the
3: point. It's like long winded sentences. There's there's not a lot of room in this diary, man. Oh, wow. It's a very
0: small amount of space.
3: You know what? That's actually pretty smart. Like if you wanted to get a bullet point of your like your it keeps you focused cuz sometimes I'll just write forever. Can you start this
0: again, Nath? Can you? <laughs> that day finished out with a uh, watched Star Wars. <gasps> oh. Uh, and played football. So, you know.
1: Oh, good day.
0: Yeah, I guess. Uh, Cohen, let's do your birthday. Um, So Here we go. This was a Saturday this year. Um, Rained all night last night. Oh, It's getting sad already. Uh, My uncle Lal and cousin Neil came to visit at 10 o'clock. Uh-oh, sounds ominous. Uh, My dad got here at 7.45 (laughs) a.m. I went to the market. I lived in, I was in like rural Scotland. I'm guessing this was a cattle market of some kind. I came back. We did computer? <laughs> one... Wait, uh, oh. wait. There's there's a there's a tragic tragic fucking ending.
2: Oh, I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. No, it's just
0: two words. Broke joystick.
2: No, no. <laughs> oh man, this reads like <sighs> slam poetry. I forgot to mention,
3: I actually, when I went to Paris, I didn't realize that, like, my friend also liked Before Sunrise, so I didn't realize that she was also intentionally making sure that we hit the spots. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I actually went to the Shakespeare Company bookstore. Oh, cool. And I got to be a part of that. And it's, like, honestly, what you imagine, like, that, like, antique French bookstore is it has, like, nooks and crannies where you can go in and read your book and, like, write stuff, but it also is one of the places where you can't take any photos.
0: So, therefore, you remove all of the Instagram crowd okay fair enough sounds good to me Mm. um yeah i mean i know a few like little bookshops like that maybe not so much in paris but definitely i know a couple in amsterdam that are kind of like that that have that vibe um i mean yeah there's like a sweeping shot that they do like where they're tracking them walking along the seine it almost makes me want to go to paris like this movie makes paris look appealing right Mm. they like they take the riverboat um and they're kind of they're chatting on on the riverboat at the time and it makes paris look like somewhere that i would very much like to hang out i just kind of wish it was and wasn't like the the shit show that i've experienced every time i went there well
3: i say that when i went to paris i went with like a money belt That's the first time I actually had to wear, like, a money belt. But then then a part of me is like, oh, that was pretty... I felt safer doing it because then when I was, like, near the Eiffel Tower, like, a whole bunch of people were, like, swarming me, just asking for money. And I was like, this is very awkward now. So now I feel happy that I put the money belt. And that's what you don't really get from Paris or any Paris movie is that bit of, like, the harsh realities of it. Apart from Taken. Yeah. But in this movie, it's just Celine and Jesse's world, which is just reconnecting.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how there's like, there are no real other... I mean, outside of like the people in the bookstore at the start, there's no other build actors in this movie. There's like, their interactions with other people are very limited.
1: Kind of feels like it's a risk in a way where it's like, if you don't vibe with one or like both of these characters, then you're kind of screwed because there's no content outside of those two characters.
2: Can I read the build cast on Wikipedia? We got Jesse, Celine, bookstore manager, journalist number one, journalist number two, waitress, Felipe. Oh, Felipe. How could we forget Felipe?
1: Right. Yes.
2: Boat attendant. Uh, man at grill and woman in courtyard and that is the entire cast I
0: remember all of it I remember that man at grill <laughs> yeah exactly I remember all of those fucking characters so you know I mean it pays to have a small cast sometimes I guess
3: but then it goes to show you don't need this massive cast to tell a good story like you can get like it's to the point too like I've, have you seen ensemble movies where like there's the characters that you absolutely give no shits about and you just want to get back to the like the people that you care about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like this one is just like again it is a risk but if you like Jesse and Salim lean. This is a good time.
0: But I mean Linklater can do that with an ensemble as movie, movie as well because um, Days and Confused is very much an ensemble movie that follows like a bunch of different characters through the night and yeah they intersect with each other all the time but the, that cast is stacked. I mean you've got a lot of actors that have gone on to be like super famous in that movie but um, he manages to make all of their stories interesting and relatable and kind of you want to know what these characters are up to. I
1: know this is a weird jump but i kind of love to see his take on a Godzilla movie <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love this joke mm.
1: I know I was gonna say like it's more so um I find myself not giving a shit about any of the human characters in any Godzilla movie ever and I want to because humans are very uh necessary for Godzilla to exist because without the humans then it's just you could have regular sized monsters there's literally no issue
3: (laughs) I honestly thought the direction you're going was like Kong and Godzilla go through a stroll through like Kong Kong also
1: would love that
0: you're know, like like kong just pointing out where to go next i know <laughs> you're saying like humans are essential to those movies but i know you've also seen godzilla versus kong the humans in that movie you can fucking keep them i did not give the remotest no. shit about any no. of the humans in that no. film.
1: And that's that's my issue is like, I do not care about any of the, the humans, but they are necessary for the scale. So it's not like you can just cut them out and just have Kong versus Godzilla fighting. They gotta be there in some capacity, but I would rather have the fact where everything intertwines, like everybody has their own kind of um, storyline and then it, it, it all comes together for a good purpose, not just Kong good, Godzilla bad wait Godzilla good question mark you know like stop it
0: I kind of feel like 15 years ago that would have been something that you could have maybe enticed Link later to do I kind of feel like he's he's kind of known for sort of taking these wild studio swings every now and again but I feel like lately he's sort of edged away from doing studio pictures at this point to kind
3: of go back on the Kong I feel like the closest you kind of could get to that and seeing how it could go bad is ang lee's the hulk
2: (laughs) (laughs) i thought the the godzilla it's been a while since i've seen it but the godzilla movie with brian cranston in it um i don't remember which one that was that i mean granted that's
0: that was like the 20 the 2014 one yeah
2: 2014, yeah. I thought he did a great job in that film. I, I cared a lot for his character in that film. I mean, I, it sticks out in my mind as a performance, but.
0: Yeah, sure. And that, that was the closest that they've got to, like, making the human characters worth a shit in one of those movies, I think. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, because I, uh, the last Godzilla movie, the, I think, King of Monsters, that one's probably my favorite, but I think it's more so the fact that they were more ambitious with the monsters versus human ratio in the movies. Like, the screen times were were more on par with each other, and that was fun, but I want to have, like, weird conversations and, you know, not feel angry that I could see a giant lizard put his fist through through a building instead like i'd rather see that over you know any human did
2: you guys see the post-credits scene in before sunset where godzilla steps on the eiffel tower oh
0: yeah you know what i fucking forgot it was in there i saw it in theaters when it came out but um because i was looking for my keys under the seat and then was totally (laughs) blown away by it um well
3: obviously it's like a blink and you'll miss it well it makes sense though. that's why Celine's like you're gonna miss your plane because uh godzilla (laughs) yep (laughs) you can't fly when
0: godzilla's hanging about that's true so just kind of slightly tangential and I can't even remember we've done so many of these fucking episodes now. I can't remember if we talked about it before, but um talking about like that humanized element in a Godzilla movie, there was a script kicking around about 10 15 years ago. Uh I'm 99% certain it was written by the South Park guys and it was just called Giant Monsters Attack Japan. And it was about a co- uh, a father and son from America who moved to Japan for his job and mm. realized that things like Godzilla attacks and Mofra attacks and Rodan attacks are just part of everyday life out there. And that they have to try and like <laughs> reconcile the fact that they've moved to a country where this is just the accepted norm. Uh, I don't know why that movie never got made. I'm sure there was all kinds of licensing issues with it, but fuck, I wanted to see that film. Oh, that, man, would that would be great. great. That
1: sounds like an anime, wordly enough.
0: It really does. Right? <laughs> I I like the nine-year gap between these movies as well. I think, um, I don't know, it just feels... It, you could have maybe knocked out a sequel to this every, like, five years or whatever, but I feel like nine years is, like, a sufficient amount of time for these people to be in really different places when they meet up.
1: Do you know why it was delayed so, like, long?
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't even think it was a case of it being delayed. I think it was just a, sort of a natural evolution of the characters and of the actors as well.
1: Yeah, I, I was just like wondering if it was pre- planned out that we're going to do three and then they're going to be nine years apart and, you know. I
0: mean, I guess with the second one it was just a case of they got around to it after nine years and then, you know, by the time the third one rolled around they were kind of like, well, we might as well just make it another nine year gap so that there's like this steady interval when they're at different kind of like decades in their life right
1: yeah that's
2: fair i just want to say uh before midnight felt like a movie movie like Mm. i don't know what it was about that particular movie maybe it was the way it was shot like i guess because it was so hd <laughs> it, <laughs> i it, mean it's it, a good like, looking movie for sure yeah yeah but it looked like very noticeably different than the the two pre- uh, preceding it
0: i think i mean we'll, we'll we'll jump into it because you can't really talk about these movies without talking about like the concluding part or what i assume is the concluding part they haven't mentioned they're doing another one but yeah before midnight um i think the issue i have with that movie is is there are too many characters in it yeah there are, there yeah. are there's a lot of that movie is spent with characters that we are unfamiliar with. The it's Certainly the front end of the film is a lot of sitting around dinner tables talking with other characters, when really all I want to be doing is sort of catching up with Jesse and Celine at that point.
1: Yeah, they don't ne- like even mention their they have twins together. They don't mention their names until the hotel room, which was weird to me. Or maybe she does not french i don't.
0: i mean before midnight is kind of a gut punch to these films because it catches up with them again um all right let's let's tie up before sunset so yeah they're they basically get the car to the airport or he's taking the car to the airport um and then delpy kind of has like a freak out in this scene um like an Oscar-worthy performance by Julie Delpy in this movie. Um, I don't think she was... No, she wasn't nominated uh, that year. That was the year that Hilary Swank won for A Million Dollar Baby, but I kind of feel like Delpy was overlooked that year. Uh, she has this freak-out uh, where she kind of like just unloads all of her fucking insecurities about the relationship or the potential for their relationship. There's the scene where he's kind of losing it as well and she goes to touch his hair and she like retracts her hand and it's just like kind of devastating.
3: But what happened happens i'm trying to remember now like what triggers it like i'm trying to think if it just happened gradually because or is it more of the fact that it's now coming into an end so now it's now or never I think um, so,
2: yeah. I, I think I, she brings up the book. Yeah, see, it's this fucking damn book that he wrote, you know? So, the one thing I will say about this movie is it's amazing, and I really like it, and I'd love to give it a second watch. Um, there's so much dialogue and so much talking, I can, I it's so hard for me to pick out conversations because so much of this movie is conversations.
3: No, yeah, we were watching it, I was like, oh yeah, that's what they talk about. Like, there's it's almost like you. it gets fuzzy in your head, but then when you watch it again, it all comes back to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm trying like even trying to go back to the conversation like, I just remember the physical interactions like even before like the build up to that car scene I was like trying to figure it out because before that when they're on like doing their walk there was a scene about like okay say like tomorrow is like the end of the world what you'll be wanting to do like what we talk about and like it's funny because again it's another test Where it's like it's almost like this physical test of their attraction if it still lasts because he's like well I would forget about saving the environment and we would just be in bed uh, screwing and then he does this thing where he like lifts her up and like puts her on the bench and there's something about that that felt like such a risk on his part and like Mm -hmm. how it failed Mm. that i was like this was a great moment because like the, again there's the automatic regret that like in his head he was probably hoping for it to work out but then it just got awkward
0: yeah she kind of rejects the the idea of them having this kind of like fucking tryst at the end of the world which is got kind of a nice touch you know it's like she's not she's not like fucking straight head over heels for this guy he has to fucking work at this i think
1: yeah well i mean especially since uh she spends most of the movie knowing that he's married Mm. He as a child, yeah, like that is unattain- unattainable, and to her, that's not something that she's looking to, I guess, pursue. But she's in love with the idea of it.
3: I think that was the trigger. Before they, she mentions that she read the article about how he's married now, and then I guess that delved into the conversation of like if he's happy, and then like,
2: yeah, that's those that trigger,
3: bringing up family <laughs> and marriage.
2: Yeah, yeah, she, she, she brings up that it's amazing that she thought he had this perfect life, when in fact you know, he's dealing with just as much bullshit as she is at the moment, and it's not perfect, and it's not everything that he had hoped, and or everything that she thought he wanted, you know? Yeah,
0: um, so basically they, they're taking the car at the airport, he offers her a ride home, they get to her place, and he walks her to the door, and then walking her to the door becomes, he's going up to the apartment to hear her perform a song.
2: Hold on, hold on, sorry. Such Disrespect for that cab driver? Holy shit!
0: Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's Philippe, man. He's he's cool.
2: I mean, he's like, wait here. I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna walk her to the door, and then spends half an hour in her apartment. <laughs>
0: so there's a gag in the movie airplane where near the start the character takes a fucking cab to the airport and gets off and then goes off on the fucking plane blah blah, blah. and then there's an end credits sequence where the cab driver is waiting still at the end of the movie and he's like i'll give him another five minutes i would love to have seen i know i know we've already got the godzilla end credits but i would love to have seen <laughs> Philippe just there still just like checking his watch in fact no fuck it let's have it as an end credits at the end of before midnight nine years later <laughs> Philippe is still sat in that fucking Beautiful.
1: laneway. <laughs> Beautiful.
0: Yeah, so they go up to the apartment. She plays in the song. And obviously the song is loosely based about him. Uh, Julie Delpy, also a fantastic fucking singer as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. She plays this waltz for him. And I'm kind of shook at this point. And the movie ends with him acknowledging that, yes, he has a flight to catch. And she's just kind of stood there dancing in the apartment. And it just cuts to fucking black. Uh, Just a perfect ending. Because we don't have a definitive resolution. We don't fucking need one. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So when when we f- watched this for the first time, I was aware it was two movies. I was like, or I was under the impression. Mm. I was like, okay, we you know we watched the first one, we watched the second one, and I didn't know there was a third follow up. So mm. I turned to Laura and I went, I don't know. Do do you think like do you think he stayed? Do you think he <laughs> he you know do you think they like fell in love and rekindled it i don't think they did honestly i think he went home i think uh sure he, he left he, you know they had their moment and he left for his flight and they never spoke ever again honestly that's genuinely how i felt
0: yeah I, but that's that's great because that's what link wants you to take from that ending is you draw your own fucking conclusions about what happens next
1: They mention it about the book, um, where it's like, some people, like, I think it's the first scene where the, uh, journalist is, did they, did they go meet up afterwards? And then he said it's more of a test as to, like, are you a cynic? do you Mm. actually believe in love and stuff like that so i feel as though they kind of ended it on that same um note but i feel like when you're thinking about okay did they stay together in this one it's more of an educated guess because okay they didn't make it in the first one why would they make it in the second one
3: Mm. But it still kind of plays with your optimism and your romanticism. Because when I first watched this in my head it's like oh he stayed. Like he's going to miss the play and he's so in, like enthralled by her dancing and her singing that he's never going to leave. And then when I watched Before Midnight it was like a gut punch. It was like it destroyed that optimism. Yes. Because <laughs> it showed like what actually does happen. And I think what's great about this trilogy is that it has the romanticism and like the, the greatness of when you find someone truly to connect with. But it doesn't pull any of the punches that comes from maintaining that connection for a year because like
0: yeah oh yeah I mean their relationship in Before Midnight is very troubled right There's mm-hmm. there are a lot of issues and that movie is kind of it's not a downer but I also feel like I mean Celine's character in that movie she's obviously got a lot of issues with um, Jesse's character and they kind of come to a head near the end of that film with this absolutely devastating fucking hotel room argument that they have yeah but then the movie still kind of ends on like a note of optimism right at the end
2: i have to say about that argument why don't more people talk about that scene like I see people talk about the marriage story and how they have that huge blow-up argument. Oh, and yeah. Whatever, whatever. But, like, this was... I, I feel like this was way better. It's
0: uh, it's brutal. It is absolutely brutal. And, again, it feels very fucking realistic, you know? Like, his reactions, you know? I don't know. It's a, it's a tough watch. Because you guys watched it, like, were... Like, you watch it, like, one after the other.
1: Yeah, it was a marathon. But
3: did you kind of notice, like... When I was re-watching Before Sunrise, like, again, all the things that they fight about in Before Midnight are there in Before Sunrise. Like, in Before Sunrise, they're having conversation about men and women, how they're so, they're so different. And how, like, feminism is, like, this way for a man to just go around and be like, you can screw me because it's freedom. And, like, it's, like, the conversations they have there and, like, kind of the things they bump with are still things that they bump with and before midnight and i mm-hmm. thought that was just interesting to show that like your core person with your dislikes and likes are generally the same and then the more you grow to be with someone it's more um, it's almost like compromising or getting used to them or learning to adapt to them and then i don't know i just thought that was fascinating
1: until you don't anymore
2: yeah, it's rose colored glasses.
3: Mm. Yeah. And that was the heartbreaking thing of saying before midnight. It's like, yes, love is super strong, but then it's, it's, it's like at the end of the day when you're 80, it's gonna, I feel like it's gonna have its like band aids and scars. <laughs> like, but you're still gonna, it's still gonna be beating. And I guess at the end of before midnight, it's like, do you think it's still beating?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he brings that up. He says, you know, honestly, we've done things to each other that are very regrettable, but nothing's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And, you know, at the end of the day, day I'm not a dog that's just gonna keep crawling back you know because he he's obviously had it at that point he was at his tipping point Mm. you know so it it was it it was really interesting to sort of think you know did they work it out in the end did they go back to the room and have sex I mean obviously that's sort of more the implication but like I don't know like that part of the of of before midnight hit me was was the his his sort of um, rationalization of their fight and how he'd had enough and and that um, you know it's take me or me like I I I can't I just can't and I love you and I want to make this work but you're not making it easy
3: (laughs) I still kind of I'm trying to figure out what the last scene means like subtextually and or like anything we're like they're just watching the moon and like it's there it's there like I'm trying to figure it out like I still can't get it like I can't
1: (laughs) do you think it's because oh sorry I was gonna say the sun has always been a part of it whether it's sunset or sunrise do you think that the sun not being there at all
2: the sun has set on their relationship.
1: Yeah. Oof. Oof!
0: Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe I'm just a hopelessly optimistic romantic, but I read it as that ending of them just sat there as just them coming to a point of acceptance of each other and just kind of recognizing that their relationship is never going to be perfect, but they've got the foundations to make it good enough to keep working out. If
1: I'm being quite honest, it seemed like a one-sided argument on, on her side. Like she was letting go of a lot of things that she was pent up. And then he came back um, after she had stormed up. Uh, she stormed off and said, you know what, I don't think I love you anymore and that's the problem. So afterwards he tried to kind of, like, make it funny and she's like, did you not hear me? And he said, well, what am I supposed to do with that? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want me to do? So then he kind of, that was him laying it out and then, um, because he was trying to say something about, like, a time machine and, you know.
2: role play, Sexy RP.
1: Yeah, and and uh, <laughs> he had a letter to, um, her 80-year-old self and, and she's just like, you're about to have the best sex in your entire life in that time machine and blah 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 and she's just like really and he's well what do you want to do so she just goes silent for a bit and she's like best sex ever huh yeah (laughs) and he's like yeah you never know and
0: that's the optimistic beat at the end there right yeah
2: that's that's one thing about um oh god i'm ethan hawk what is it why have i forgotten his character's name jesse 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 thank you that's the one thing about jesse i sort of felt was um, he was a bit of a manipulator mm. just just a bit like not maliciously just to get his way um and that's what I took. I don't know if if you guys got that vibe at all, but it 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 the things some of the things he says and some of the things he do are very self serving and um at times I was kind of like uh, like that's not a good look for you but you know, and th- and that was one of those times when they were having that argument. It, you know, I-, I was going back and forth in my head like, whose side am I on here? Because they're both making really good points. And then, you know, Celine would say something I didn't like. And then Jesse would say something I didn't like. And I don't know. It-, it It started, I don't know if this is something that you guys experience, but I feel like when I get into a fight with my significant other, and we start going at each it other. Me, <laughs> Be careful here. Just, me, hello. No, no, no. Just tread carefully. I will, I will. Don't worry. I've got my, my uh, boots on. I'm treading very carefully. Um, when we get into a fight, and it starts to get to the point where we both made our stances very known, and we try to stipulate and talk about why we feel the way we do, and the person starts to come over to your side, I can't help but feel like I'm manipulating that person yeah. into seeing my way
1: we have an issue with that a lot where um i'll just bring it up as an example i was asking cohen's um permission to get a new kitten and he's made his stance completely clear that is not happening ever (laughs) right and we had an issue with my last cat and and getting her so it's kind of like fallen over here so i said okay i don't want it to be a you say no and then i a go behind your back or b am upset forever I want to know why and we started going back and forth and whenever I get emotional I start crying but I turn my back to him because I'm like that's not how I want to win I want this to be a conversation Mm. (laughs) and he's like that's exactly why I want to fight over text because I can't tell I know you're crying but I don't have to see it (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> that you make me sound so cold, but yeah. no, because that's
1: that's exactly it as, as soon as co- he started being like, okay, well, like, what would be the the reasoning behind getting the kittens? And I'm like, no, I know that I'm winning because I'm crying. Stop it. <laughs> this ain't a conversation anymore this is me guilting you into getting the kitten it ain't happening I don't have a kitten by the way so
3: (laughs) but I guess that's what it is like with this movie it's their relationship and as we see the three of it we get to see how they push and pull and I think that's why maybe kind of connect with other people in relationships because like like you said for your for your own like relationship it's your own push and pull like you know each other's triggers you know how you respond to each other's actions so therefore you're at a stage when you do have a conflict you respect each other enough to know when not to like manipulate or i guess when you know what something is not right
1: yeah exactly and i think that was the thing is i didn't notice it at the time because i i had messaged you guys and just said like Celine is insufferable during this and the more that i go back and i think about it she was really hurting and she let out a lot yeah but with that, you know, he couldn't win. Uh, there was that one point where she's just like, I, I have no time to myself anymore. I'm always working. Like, I come home and I take care of the children and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you know what? You're right. You should take more time. And she's just like, don't patronize me or something like that. And it gets, <laughs> Laura, it got me to Laura the point. looked
2: at me like wide-eyed when she said that, like,
1: what? what (laughs) It was just like what is he supposed to do and it's at that moment that i kind of like come to myself i'm like what is he supposed to do they're at complete different ends from each other like they are so disconnected at that point there is nothing he could do to make her feel cared about in -hmm. that moment because he's already done so much damage and it's just so heartbreaking to watch, and it's it's that realism to it, where you, sometimes you just go in a circle. When you're arguing, you make the same points, and you go into a circle, and you just can't stop spiraling, and that was one of them, where, like, no matter what he did, and, like, you know what? I'll back down. You're right. That's shitty. That's horrible. You know, she, that that's not the right answer, and one of the other things that I noticed, too, before they had actually addressed it is when she was trying to, corner him about whether or not he had an affair and he wasn't answering oh, her yeah. Yeah. I, I turned to Cohen and I'm like he's not answering her that's all she needs to know and yeah. like boom team Celine. like just at that moment I was like I'm heartbroken for her I can't believe yeah, this that's what I was
2: saying earlier is it, it, I kept going back and forth like okay I'm on Celine's side oh Jesse's making some good points the one thing that made me laugh really hard was when she was like couples massage what the fuck is that that guy's some kind of pervert, and he's like, you don't have to do it! Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my god, that's so real. <laughs> Alright, look, we, I think we have fucking, we've gone over the runtime of this movie talking about this movie, which is <laughs> a first for us, I believe. Uh, should we uh, wrap this up with a little quizzy quiz?
2: Yeah! I'm gonna fail, sure. I didn't study. Well... <laughs>
0: This might not be quite as uh, related to the movie as you think, alright. Okay, here in Toronto, Canada, the sun set at exactly 8 p.m. today. But what about other countries around the globe? <laughs> I want to know, was 8 p.m. today before or after their sunset? <laughs> so I'm going to give you the name of a place in the world, and I want you to just tell me if it is before sunset at 8 p.m. or after sunset at 8 p.m.
1: Okay, so local time... It is 8 Yeah, their local,
0: their local time. Is it okay. before sunset or after sunset? Not after the sunset, which is a terrible Brett Ratner movie. I want okay. it before sunset or after sunset.
1: Okay,
2: I was going to say, wouldn't this have to do with whether the place you're going to say is in the northern or southern hemisphere and how far?
0: Well, let's see if you can figure that All the right. fuck out. Oh. Um, I cannot. <laughs> we're going to go around the horn. It's going to go Laura Roddy Cohen in that order uh, for no real reason. Or is there? Um, Let's start off with a fairly easy one for Laura. Uh, Reykjavik, Iceland, my second favorite city in the world after our own. Uh, 8pm today, was that before sunset or after sunset?
1: Good lord, I don't know. Before?
0: It was before. The sun did not set until 8.59pm in Reykjavik today.
1: Beautiful. Let's go there. (laughs)
0: Let's. I love it. Um, Roddy. Oh god. My hometown of Stirling, Scotland. 8pm today. Before or after sunset?
3: 8pm today is before or after their sunset?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, after? No, I'm afraid not. It was uh, before sunset. Their sun did not set in Sterling until 8.21pm today. Okay, Cohen.
2: Wait, sorry, I'm confused about the rules. So, (laughs) so, (laughs) their, wait, so the set... The sun is supposed to set before 8 p.m.?
1: Okay, it's set here at 8 p.m. That is why we are using 8 p.m. as the, like, okay. line. Yep. Right. So, um...
0: At 8 p.m. in the place that I give you, I want to know if that was before sunset or after sunset. When Had... did their
1: sunset? Was it before or after 8 p.m.?
2: But Roddy just said it was before and then... No, I said after. He said after. It was 8.21.
0: Yeah, that's when their sunset, but it, so it didn't set at 8 p.m.
2: But it set after 8 p.m. But he said it was after. <laughs> so you just messed up the
0: rules. I want to know, right? I want to know if 8pm is before or after oh, their sunset. Oh, oh yeah? Yes. Okay. yes. Okay. Is 8pm before or after their sunset? He had okay. me on
1: his side, too. Uh, there's part of that manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> He's arguing, and I'm like, you know what? He's got some points.
0: <laughs> I, I could have worded this better I know but I'm really stretching here man I'm really so if fucking stretching the sun stretching.
2: sets at 6.50 that would be after? that would be after. after so wait what was the Iceland one? <laughs>
0: before that was before because 8pm
2: was before their sunset at 8.59 8:59. 8:59.
1: 8.59 8:59.
2: okay and the answer to the second one was before as well Okay, got it. Yes. Okay, we're good. Yes. I'm sorry.
0: Oh boy, this was a long way around to get uh, to get. You wanted more time? To me to ask you if um, you can edit that
2: down. You can edit that down.
0: Um, Asmanhausen in Germany.
2: Asmanhausen.
0: That's right, Asmanhausen. <laughs> was there sunset before or after eight p.m.? Uh,
2: I'm I'm just gonna go on.
0: No wait no, okay, I'm asking that wrong. Was eight was eight pm before or after their sunset?
2: Was eight pm before or after? Or after. Okay. I think it was before. That's correct.
0: Their sun did not set until eight twenty p.m. in Asmanhausen. <laughs> Laura. Yes. The little village of Emo in Ireland. 8 p.m. before or after their sunset.
1: Um, um, before.
0: That's right. Their sun did not set until 8.27pm this evening. Roddy? Sure. I'm not even... (laughs) I'm just going to go with gut feeling. (laughs) How about the small town of Batman in Turkey?
3: Uh, before.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm afraid um, Ah. 8pm was... After their sunset. Their sunset at 6.50pm today.
1: Oh, Batman. That was the
2: example I used earlier, was 6.50.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you also said in Batman <sighs> as well. Uh, weird. Um, okay, Cohen, how about in Anus, France?
2: Oh, Anus, France, eh? I'm going to go with gut and say before.
0: That is correct. 8pm was before their sunset. The sun did not go down until 8.34pm in Anus, France.
2: I thought you said France smelled like piss. Well, it smells like
0: anus as well. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you, France. I love you, our French listeners. All four of you. Um, Laura, how about the tiny village of Fuckersburg, Austria?
1: Oh, God. Austria. I'm going to say after?
0: Oh, you're absolutely right, because the sun set at 7.55 p.m., so 8 p.m. Oh, wow. is after their sunset. <gasps> Barely. Roddy, we're, uh, we're <laughs> off elsewhere now. I want you to tell me at 8 p.m., was it before or after sunset in Cunting, Gambia? Uh, after? That is correct. The sunset at 7.11 p.m. in Cunting today.
2: Yeah, I got one. <laughs>
0: um, Cohen, how about in the Netherlands, the town of Rectum?
2: I'm going to go with After.
0: No, I'm afraid the sun did not set until 8.30pm there. That was uh, actually a before sunset. (sighs) I feel like uh, a
2: lot of work went into this. (laughs) This is good. (laughs) I thought the rectum was where the sun don't shine. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I thought
1: that was emo. Like, the sun would set and then just (laughs) never come back up.
0: This is very fucking childish, so let's wrap it up with some serious ones.
1: Yeah, Neth. Jeez, come on.
2: Get it together.
0: Laura. Yes. The town of Laura, Saskatchewan. Before or after sunset at 8 p.m.?
1: Shoot. Um, after. <coughs> oh, no. you're five,
0: five minutes off. I'm afraid the sun didn't actually set until 8.05 p.m. there. Bitchin'. Uh, Roddy.
1: hmm
0: How about Roddy, New Mexico? Uh, after? That's right. The sun set there at 7.38 p.m. today. Woo. And finally... We're off to Cohen Island, nice. Western Australia. You have to visit
2: Dananda. Uh, before? <laughs> no,
0: I'm afraid the sun actually set there. At oh, 6. sorry, oh, that's, what I, that's, I, that's what I meant. I meant after. That's what I meant. Well, that's not what you said, fo, is it?
2: <laughs> no, but that's what I meant. I meant it was. I meant that the time that the sunset was before eight p.m. It's
0: about the intention. Ned. Well, uh, you know what. I uh, I wasn't keeping tabs on the score anyway, so you're all winners in my eyes.
2: Hooray!
0: You've all won a trip to Cunting Gambia.
1: <gasps> yeah, I've always yeah. wanted to go. Wait. <laughs> all
0: right, that was our episode on Before Sunset from the year two thousand four, directed by Richard Linklater. Would you guys recommend this movie? I did.
2: <laughs> if you're if you're above the age of fifteen, I think it's a good film for you. <laughs> the teenage the teenage angst. I feel it would be... Like, I wish I'd seen this movie in my teens. It's
1: the adult one. The adult one? Yeah, like, it's it's the adult film that, like, Cohen said. If you're trying to oh, feel, yeah. like, fancy and, like, ooh, I'm so sophisticated, then absolutely, because this is this is a heavy hitter but it's for a different reason so you have to be in a certain kind of mood for this one
3: yeah i would just recommend it too because i find it's just kind of a gauge of like kind of the type of conversations you can have with people and like if they can get through before sunrise or even want to talk about sorry, before sun's set then i feel like oh, okay we're at that level where i can like make weird monk jokes or like i don't know how like they talk about how what's it called you fell in love with a french fat girl and i feel like that's the only thing you do when you're joking with your friends
0: yeah i mean same total recommend for me i love this movie um i love richard Linklater in general this film is the best one of the trilogy i think um it definitely feels like the most honest of the three movies there's no kind of like bitterness seeping in really that kind of makes before midnight hard to watch but also it doesn't have the naivety that before sunrise has so yeah i mean this is a great movie uh good choice roddy well done <laughs> speaking of choices there's only one movie left to do in uh, good with numbers month laura i believe it's your choice what are we doing next week
1: Ha ha ha! So we are finally breaking the Marvel cherry with Winter Soldier! Oh my, Captain
0: America time! I mean, that's a complete fucking U-turn from this movie. At least uh, there's going to be some shit blowing up, I guess, you know?
1: Yeah. Weird thing I didn't know is actually uh, Julie Delpy is actually in the MCU.
0: She is! That's right, she is. Um, She's in uh, Age of Ultron, I think. Age of Ultron,
1: yeah, because she's the... Oh my god. Uh, Natasha's, uh, like, mentor, I guess. Madame Madame B or whatever. But yeah, no, I'm really excited about Winter Soldier because, um, I mean, I'm just a big Marvel fan in general. I love the MCU. I'm actually an Iron Man person, (laughs) but... Mm those uh we'll we'll talk about those sequels captain america winter soldier i think is probably the best as far as longevity and just action and fun
0: i haven't seen it in a long time but i have been watching uh falcon and the winter soldier
1: yeah
0: which is kind of great it's um, really good gonna fucking we're probably gonna talk about it next week but kind of like it more than one division so i don't know oh i'm surprised oh shit cohen plug your fucking ep man
2: oh yes i just released an ep called protocol um you can check it out it's on spotify and itunes apple music um anywhere you get your music it's there
0: yeah look for six stroke on those channels we have been bad with numbers from toronto canada you can find us on Twitter at Bad Numbers Pod. You can email the show at BWN at gmail.com. Stay safe out there. Goodbye.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: Bye bye. Talking going about, me.